Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this end section of Daniel. We thank you for Daniel chapter 12, verse 10 that says, the wise will understand. We pray that you would help us to understand this passage, that you would give us wisdom so that we respond in a way that is pleasing to you. So by your spirit, be with us this evening, helping us to understand it and be changed by it. Amen. Uh, Well, every so often, I I find it helpful to ask myself the question, uh, if Jesus were to return next year, or next week even, to judge the world, how would I live differently now? What would my priorities be? If we knew the end was coming, if you really believed the end was coming soon, how would you think and act differently now, if Jesus was coming imminently? It's a question that really helps to sharpen our minds, doesn't it? And to think about our priorities and whether our priorities are in order or not. Uh, Most of you will know that I have uh, just been in Zimbabwe for uh, a couple of weeks, putting together plans for a potential mission to uh, Norwest mission to Zimbabwe next year. Uh, More more about that at church next week. Uh, And while I was over there, I spoke at a few universities, uh, Christian Union groups with Tendai. That's uh, Tendai and me at uh, one of the universities over there. And uh, I had the opportunity to speak to these Christian unions at these different universities. And I asked them the question, what they thought was the greatest need in Zimbabwe at the moment. And if they had the ability to solve any problem in Zimbabwe, what would they seek to solve? And at each of these three universities, similar answers came up. It was the economy, it was poverty and corruption. Now, if these Zimbabwean students answer that question knowing that the end of the world as we know it was happening next week or next year, that Jesus was returning to judge the world, I think they would have answered that question differently. And I think we would answer that question differently as well. I think they would have said something like, the greatest need of their country was that people experience forgiveness of sins, that they come to know God, that they come to have eternal life. Because thinking of the imminent return of Jesus helps to sharpen our minds. It helps us to think, what does an uncompromised life look like? Uh, The life of Daniel. What does it look like to live like Daniel and have this uncompromised life? So if I was to summarize the sermon uh, this evening into one sentence, I would say this sermon is a call to understand the times that we live in and to respond wisely. At this stage of Daniel, chapter 10, Daniel is about 85 years of age. uh, And in this final vision that he gets in chapters 10 to 12, he's given a glimpse into two important things that I want to focus on this evening. Firstly, in chapter 10, he's given a glimpse into the unseen spiritual world, like the curtains are pulled back into the unseen spiritual world. And then in chapter 11 and into chapter 12, he's given a glimpse into the very end of times, the last day when God is going to wrap all things up for us. So let's let's dig in. Uh, let's, Let's seek to be wise and understand the times we're in from God's perspective. So firstly, in chapter 10, a glimpse into this unseen spiritual world. Have a look at verse 4. It says, of chapter 10, it says, On the 24th day... Of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. And then in verse 5, it says, I looked up. It's like he looks up and he's transported into the heavenly realms, into this unseen spiritual world. 
And he sees this spectacular man in the air. Let me read verses 5 and 6. He says, I looked up. There before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, translucent stone. His face was like lightning. His eyes like uh, flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. What a vision. Imagine seeing that person. Uh, And I think this is a picture for us of Christ. And the reason I think that uh, is, it is almost an exact, uh, exactly the same description as we're given of by Christ at the beginning of the book of Revelation by the Apostle John in chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Uh, They match each other. And so it seems to be a picture uh, of, of Christ before his incarnation. And it's an impressive figure, isn't it? This person of verse 5, he's got the robe of a priest on. He has the belt of a king. He has the voice of thousands. So this is the Lord of glory. He is unbeatable. Who could possibly stand up against this man? It's, it's scary as well with these eyes like flaming torches. And this is the one who stands over all things. He's the one in control. So it's terrifying, but at the same time, it's, it's comforting to know that he's on your side. And his robe of linen symbolizes that he's pure. He's the righteous one. He is, he is good. He is perfect, which is great, such a great comfort. Well, after this amazing vision of this God-man, Jesus, in verse 5 to 6. When we get down to verse 12, we get to a very unusual section. We meet a messenger. In verse 12, Daniel has been told his prayers have been heard and someone comes in response to his prayers, but it's an unusual scene. Let me read from verses 13 to 14 of chapter 10. It says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And this is a really bizarre paragraph, piece of scripture. What is going on here? The messenger, who is the messenger? Is it still Christ or is it some, an angel now that we had before? Uh, the, it, the messenger does seem to match closely the words of the angel Gabriel that we had back in chapter 8, verse 16. So it seems to be the words of an angel. And the messenger says... We've heard your prayer, Daniel, but we've been held up. And we were held up by the prince of Persia, a supernatural being who represents the kingdom of Persia. And then down in verse 20, again, we we read of an unseen spiritual being who represents Greece, the empire of Greece. So this is weird. It's though this angel of God is saying to Daniel, "Uh, sorry, mate, we've just had to sort some things out in the spiritual realm before we could come down and fix things for you in the earthly realm. Now, I'm not sure what you think about this unseen spiritual world. Is it, is it just for nutters? Is it just for, for, for weird people with all these predictions? Well, we know in the New Testament, Jesus believed in it and was very well aware of it. When Jesus arrived, it was like the spiritual world woke up. There were demons uh, everywhere because their great enemy, Jesus, had arrived. And all through the Old Testament, we get glimpses of this unseen spiritual realm. Uh, I remember being amazed the first time I read 2 Kings, chapter 6, where Israel were unsuspectingly surrounded during the night by the Aramean army. So during the night, 
the, the, the Aramean army surrounded Israel, the city, with horses and chariots. And the next morning, one of the servants goes out and, and sees that they're surrounded. And he comes back and he reports the, the situation to Elisha, the prophet, and says, we're surrounded. And Elisha says this to him. He says, don't be afraid. Uh, the, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So he opened his eyes to this unseen spiritual world and here is this massive army of uh, chariots and, and, and horses, of chariots of fire. Can you imagine seeing that? Incredible what is going on uh, in the unseen world. Uh, Abraham Kuyper, uh, uh, who was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, he was a, also a great theologian, uh, a really reasonable man, no, not, a, not a nutter in any way, but this is what he had to say about this unseen spiritual world. He said, if once the curtains were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Well, do you believe that? That there is this unseen spiritual battle going on in the, in the cosmic realms? Well, although this unseen spiritual world can be a little bit terrifying when we think about it too much, and, and usually when people start telling me stories about what they've seen in the, the spiritual, spiritual realm, I'm thankful that I haven't had those visions. Uh, it can be a little bit terrifying. But as Christians today, post-Jesus, we're in a much more privileged position than Daniel, uh, 600 BC, because we know from the Bible that when Jesus died on the cross... He achieved a great spiritual victory. He defeated the devil at the cross and the unseen spiritual forces. And the New Testament tells us this repeatedly. Places like Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So as Christians, we have this Christ figure of verses 5 to 6 fighting for us, fighting in our corner, who has been victorious over the spiritual forces and over the devil at the cross. And as he does for Daniel in chapter 10, he gives us great strength in the spiritual battles that we face, great help. And the unseen power of Jesus reminds me of the story uh, that Sydney Anglican minister John Dixon tells about three young men who hopped on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s. Uh, and they tried to pick a fight with this man that was sitting uh, on the bus and they insulted him. He didn't respond, so they insulted him a little bit more. He said nothing. He just sat there. And eventually, this man stood up. And he was a bit bigger than that estimated from his seated position. Actually, much bigger. Uh, and then this man reached into his pocket. And he brought out a card. And he gave these three young men a card. And uh, then he hopped off the bus. Uh, and as the bus went on its way, these three young men... Uh, got the card and had a look at it, and on it it said, Joe Lewis, boxer. They just tried to pick a fight 
with a man who would be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world for the next 12 years. Possibly the greatest heavyweight boxing champion of all time. So as Christians, as we face these spiritual battles in our life which try and pull us away from Jesus, we need to know that we have Jesus fighting in our corner for us, who is far stronger than anything that will seek to pull us down and pull us away from Jesus. And there might be some here today who are feeling really weak in the spiritual battles of your life. Perhaps you're going through great battles with your health. Uh, Perhaps you're going through battles with your mental health. Perhaps going through battles in your marriages, in your families, perhaps with different temptations. And you feel like that you're losing You feel tired and you have nothing left to give in this fight. But as with Daniel, if we pray, God hears us, he comforts us and he strengthens us. And with Christ, we have great strength in these spiritual battles that we face. So what are we to do with chapter 10? This weird, unseen spiritual battle that is going on in the world out there that we can't see and we know very little about. Well, I think we need to recognize it's real and the devil's goal is always to destroy us, to help to turn people away from Jesus, to turn people away from fighting to become more like Jesus, that people would lose their faith. And what does Daniel do? He prays. There is great power in prayer. As he prays, these these, these great angels come to his aid from the unseen spiritual world, to help him. As we pray, great things are happening in the unseen world. So it's a great encouragement to pray when we feel weak. Daniel is at his weakest here, and he prays, and he's given incredible strength to keep fighting. So that is a glimpse for us of the unseen spiritual world that we see in chapter 10. Now we move into uh, the, the second point, which is a glimpse into the end of times. The last day. So we've just been looking through a pair of binoculars, spiritual binoculars at this unseen world. The curtains have been pulled back to see something of what's going on. Chapter 12, we're given like a giant telescope that enables us to look forward to the very end of times, to the last days. Now, chapter 11, uh, which I'm primarily skipping over, gives us a history of 400 years. Now, we don't have time tonight to go through 400 years of history. It's basically that blank page in the middle of your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, And chapter 11 is all about what happens there. But towards the end of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, we get to the end of times, the last times. So we pick it up at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, At that time, at the end, Michael, the great prince, angel, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of of nations until then. So what we're being told from verse 1 is that the end of the ti- at the end of the times there will be a time of distress that has not happened since the beginning of nations since the beginning of history. Now there is a possibility that we are that that is happening now. We could be w- well there now. You, James mentioned uh, a few weeks ago uh, that the Barnabas fund and open doors report that there are 215 million Christians around the world today who are facing prison, torture, and death. So many Christians are being destroyed and annihilated around the world today for their faith. So there is a great distress that is going on around the world. We may not realize that and think that often in Australia, where Christians uh, 
things for Christians are not too bad at the moment, are they? But as the end of verse 1 says, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Uh, I take this book of verse 1 to be referring to the book of life, referred to also in the book of Revelation, which is going to be opened on Judgment Day. If your name is in the book of life, you will be delivered. And what are we delivered from? Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 12. It says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So we will be delivered from everlasting shame and contempt, from contempt, from God's judgment, and taken to everlasting life. Now this is probably the clearest Old Testament passage, uh, resurrection passage. It's a very significant passage in the Old Testament about the resurrection at the end of times. Let me tell you a story of deliverance uh, from my recent trip to Zimbabwe. Uh, when we were there, we were kindly given a, a little uh, 1980 Mazda 323. Uh, now, this is, it, it was a little bit worse for wear than this one, but this is what it looked like. Uh, it had done well over 200,000 kilometres, and when I looked under the bonnet, there were tubes that uh, were taped up with masking tape. But it was fantastic. We were so thankful for this little car that enabled Therese and I to get around uh, in in Bulawayo. Now, driving in Zimbabwe can be fairly stressful. Uh, there's police roadblocks everywhere, you're dodging cows and, and uh, stray dogs. Uh, there are more potholes on the road than non-potholes. And all was going well until one day, one day we decided to take the little Mazda into the middle of town, uh, busy and hectic middle of town, African uh, towns. And as we're there, we're dodging people, walking across roads who thought they were, they were cars. Uh, there's no lanes. Uh, it's chaos. Well, we're sitting at the lights at the, the, heavy, the busiest intersection in town, and the car conks. And I think, oh, no. Uh, trying to start the car, and, and fortunately it starts, and I think, phew. And then it gets out into the middle of the intersection, and it decides that that's actually a better place to stop. So there we are, stuck in the middle of the intersection of the busiest uh, intersection in town, broken down. Cars flying at us in all directions. And I decide to get out and, and try and push uh, this little Mazda uh, to safety, fearing for my life. And as I'm pushing and steering, trying to, not making much progress, out of nowhere come these two young, strong men. They could have been angels. And they push me and they, they, get, they get the car going. And I want to get out and, and give them a great hug but I can't, I've got to keep the revs going to keep, to keep it moving. So I give them the universal thumbs up out the window, thank you, and uh, we were delivered, delivered from destruction, delivered by these men uh, from being crashed into. And then we zoomed all the way home to safety. And deliverance is wonderful. It was wonderful uh, on that occasion. And the deliverance in verse 2 is obviously much more wonderful and much more serious than this. It's deliverance to everlasting life. Deliverance from, from shame and everlasting contempt. So when Daniel talks about deliverance, you can be sure it's traceable forward to Jesus on the cross. The reason any believer would be delivered is because of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, he delivered us from sin and death. So if you trust in Jesus, you are part of God's book, referred to in verse 1, the book of life where the names of all people who believe in Jesus are recorded and which will be opened on the last day, on that resurrection day, 
where all people will come before Jesus to be judged. So we want to know, how are you delivered? Such an important question. You are delivered based on your receiving of Jesus, not on your achieving. If you've received Christ, he will receive you. And we need to to slow down here. These are such significant verses, verses 1 and 2 of Daniel 12. Have you been delivered? Have you put your trust in Jesus? You must. If you wish to experience everlasting life and not everlasting shame and content, you must accept Jesus as your king. You must ask for mercy and forgiveness. And you must seek to follow Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So I want to ask you, have you received Jesus? It's the most difficult thing you can do in your life, and it's the most wonderful thing you can do in your life. It's difficult because we're so proud and think we can achieve and earn our way to God. But it's wonderful because it's a gift, and it provides a completely new way to experience life. God's Spirit comes to live in our hearts. Daniel's God comes to dwell with you day in, day out. What, what could be more wonderful than that? Experiencing the love of God, the strength of God, the peace of God, each and every day. Have you received Jesus? I want to take a moment to stop and reflect upon this, either uh, to commit our lives to Christ now, or perhaps to recommit our lives to Christ. And if you're not quite ready to commit your life to Christ, then consider what is it that's preventing you from committing your life to Christ? What is stopping you from making that decision? Let's take 30 seconds just to quietly pray to God now and reflect upon this important decision. Well, the way we commit our lives to Christ is uh, A, B, C. Just so you know, admit that we've ignored, we've rejected God. B, we believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins. C, we commit our life to Jesus. And if you've done that today, I encourage you to write on one of the welcome cards that yes, I committed my life to Jesus as the staff he would love to know so that we can uh, get in contact with you and, and encourage you and pray with you. Now, before I finish, there's one final application for the Christian to consider before we finish looking at the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 12. And it's the Christian needs uh, to consider verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2, again and again, which says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And the reason we need to have that bucket of cold water thrown over us again and again in places like Sydney is because our city is so beautiful and it can lure us in and we can think we're in heaven. And we forget that this world is passing, that it may end next week, next year. Jesus said he will return like a thief in the night when we least expect it. So are we ready? Now, I'm someone that needs that bucket of cold water thrown over my head regularly to remind me that Jesus may return tomorrow or next year. 
So I encourage you this week to think deeply about that possibility. What would you do? What would you change if you knew that Jesus were to return next week or in one year's time? I decided to write down what I'd like to do if Jesus were to return in one year. I encourage you to do it. It, it really sharpens your mind like nothing else. Helps us to get our to think about our priorities. Helps us to think uh, more like Daniel. What does an uncompromised life look like? Now, a year might be too long uh, for some of you. What about if Jesus were to return next week? What would you do? Perhaps as a parent, you'd decide to have one conversation with your children about Jesus. Perhaps at work this week, you'd seek to take one opportunity to share Jesus with a work colleague. Perhaps at the school gate, decide to share with another parent the hope you have in Jesus. What would you do if Jesus were to return next week? And if we do this, as verse 3 of chapter 12 says, it says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We will shine like stars forever and ever in heaven. What a wonderful picture of someone who responds wisely to the times that we live in. Wouldn't it be great to live like that and to shine like that for eternity? Well, let's pray. We need God's help. We need God's strength to live this uncompromised life and to be to respond wisely to the times that we live in. Please join me as we pray. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for this beautiful part of the world that we live in, this beautiful city. There's, there's so much uh, that we take for granted here, and we thank you for that. Uh, but Father, we, we do pray that we would not live as though this is it, that this world is it. We recognize that this is, is fleeting in the scheme of eternity and that we would be prepared for eternity. We'd be prepared for that day that Jesus returns and that we commit our life to Jesus so that we have everlasting life and that we can shine like the stars forever and ever in the new creation and the new, the new heavens and the new earth. Please uh, help us to live this life, we pray. Amen.